Welcome to the SMA News Today podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer. I have SMA Type 2, and I am a columnist and forums director for smanewstoday.com. Welcome to the SMA News Today podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer, and joining me today is Ali Ramos from Amarillo, Texas. Ali is a licensed social worker, and she has SMA. She was also a contributor to our 31 Days of SMA campaign last year. Now this is the, the first episode of 2022. So, uh, Allie, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Kevin. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. I think I'm really excited for this conversation. And again, thank you, congrats on being the first guest of the new year. So happy new year, everyone. And before we get started, if everyone could please listen to a brief word from our sponsor. This podcast was brought to you by Genentech, the makers of an FDA-approved treatment for SMA. To learn about our study results across different types of people with SMA, visit approvedforsma.com. That's approvedforsma.com. Okay. Allie, to get started, can you just give listeners a brief um, background on yourself and Again, I mentioned that you're a licensed social worker, but if you just want to talk about anything about your story and growing up with SMA. Yeah, absolutely. I am 34 years old, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. I am a member of the disabled community, obviously, and a member of the LGBT community. Um, I started off as a graphic designer and yeah, I was diagnosed with SMA2 at, gosh, I think it was about 16 months of age. I uh, also had a sister that had SMA, but she uh, passed away before I was born. So unfortunately, I never got to meet her. But, you know, as a 34-year-old with this disability, you do see a lot of people that you you just don't get to see grow up and that's a really hard thing you know and it, it it often brings this kind of like fire underneath you to, you're like gosh I, I gotta it's like a drive that we i know a lot of people with this disability have that we're like we have to do something to get the word out that you know to change the lives of hopefully affect the lives of other people after us who do have the same disability so that's why I got into social work and disability activism was to make sure that I could make, no matter how big or small of an impact I could, that I could try and whether it's like politically or just, you know, one-on-one, and whether it's with a group, you know, just find any way to make an impact on the laws that we have now. Absolutely. And uh, go ahead, well, your sister, was she your only sibling, or do you have any others? I do have a brother and a sister on my dad's side, and uh, I did basically grow up as an only child because it was just the age gap um, and just a lot of other different things that came into play with that, and I, yeah, I was, I was, I was an only child. Gotcha, gotcha. And so, you know, that I had a lot of, uh, a lot of friends in 
the able-bodied community, which meant that I didn't have a lot of the disability community in my life until I was about uh, 23, I would say. Um, which, you know, I did go to MPA camp until I was like 10. I, but I was, I didn't have that community and it wasn't really because of choice. It was because of the location, you know, Amarillo Mm -hmm. is, um, it's, it's a city, but it's not like Dallas or Austin or a, a bigger city in Texas. So, uh, I was, you know, pretty much like one of the only kids in a wheelchair in school I just kind of stuck to like like you mentioned earlier I'm a graphic designer too so I I kind of just stuck in the the shadows and um focused on my art more than anything growing up yeah and it and I remember reading your 31 days of SMA story and he talked about that both uh being kind of isolated from the SMA community and disability communities growing up and then you said that kind of social media helped expose you to that larger community and made you more connected can you talk about that and um and it was that kind of a factor in making the career shift to activism and social work yeah i let's see i was about 23 like i said and i got a magazine in the mail it was one of the um sma magazines i'm trying to remember the name of it but i can't remember but there was a a woman on the cover who it was talking about sma and pregnancy Mm -hmm. and i was like people with sma can have babies like what you know and you know it this was in whatever it was like 2010 i would say Uh and so it was uh it opened my eyes to a lot and I looked her up on Facebook and I I found her Facebook because I was like, I I was so interested and intrigued because I never heard of that, you know? And because it like just kind of being the only person with what I have, no one really encouraged that or talked about it or even like, you know, I didn't know about it. So Mm -hmm. I, I messaged her and she opened up my world to a whole, just a wild amount of people in living with MD on Facebook, the Facebook group. And so I joined it and I was like, oh my God, there's so many people who get up every day just like I do and who have children, who have relationships, who, you know, I had a lot of friendships. I, I dated, I, I was like, eh, I, I don't. I don't know, but it just the world of possibilities kind of opened up at that point for me. And I saw all these really cool things that people were doing regarding like disability advocacy and just like all of the steps that have been made already. And here I, you know, I was sitting behind a computer and while I love drawing, I love doing art, I love making things. I was like, I don't feel like this is necessarily what I should be doing at this moment, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so I went back to school. Um, I was at 24. Uh, I met my <laughs> now ex-husband at this point. 
And we dated, you know, we dated, we got married. Um, I continued going to school for social work. I got my bachelor's, I got my master's, I went through all the internships, went through all the hours and of papers and just tried to drop out so many times because I was so tired. And, you know, I was still working at the same time. And I was like, you know, we put ourselves through things that sometimes we just don't listen to our bodies. And we're just like trudging through without thinking of like, maybe I should rest, you know, but (laughs) I made it. And, um, I graduated with my master's in May of 2020. So it was pretty recent. And then the pandemic hit, you know, right before I graduated. Um, and then as we all have had that pandemic reflection and, uh, more isolation than normal. And I decided that I wanted a divorce and that I am not, you know, I had my coming out moment at 33. And so, um, Growing up in this area, too, is also, it's a very, very conservative area, so that is different timing for everyone. Um, I finally felt safe and stable enough to do that, and, you know, me and my ex-husband, we still speak, we're we're amicable, Um, but that just kind of, I transitioned into needing something more to complete, like, an authentic version of myself, you know? to be more transparent um, and things just kind of started falling into place with my life and my identity and my my therapy and my counseling. I was able to reach a lot of people who are afraid to come out in the LGBTQ community and a lot of people in the disabled community who need to find someone to relate to as far as their therapy, like finding a therapist that can kind of help them. So, you know, everything is like snowballed in the last, got like year and a half. There've been so many changes and it's been a whirlwind and like, it would take like three hours for me to have like an actual, (laughs) like not condensed story, you know? So it's like, everything's just kind of jumbled up right now, but um, that's just a really quick version no it's incredible well hearing that story i think the really fascinating part is like you have those kind of like two big moments of one you know becoming immersed in the disability community and finding that identity and realizing you wanted to get into activism and social work and then your coming out story and how those intersect and i'm curious to so thinking back to before you because obviously now you're very independent um, I will talk, we can talk like living situation in a minute, but I like, you're very independent, you know, working and everything, but thinking back to when you were 23, before you got that magazine and before you started immersing yourself in the disability community, what was, so like, um, had you had caregivers at that point or what was kind of your, if you don't mind me asking, like what kind of your situation was there in terms of independence and in terms of your mindset toward that? Yeah, I am very, very thankful for my parents. They instilled in me a type of independence that is really hard to ask for. You know, like they they gave me the courage and the 
that gave me the encouragement too to be who I want to be and to kind of follow my dreams. So at 19 years old, I moved out to Los Angeles, which was 16 hours, 18, like 17 hours away. And I did it. Sometimes I do things very on a whim, but I plan it out. But other people don't know that because I just don't talk about it, you know. So, like, I do things and everything kind of works out in its own terms. But, you know, moving with a disability is very hard. So I moved with two people in Amarillo and two friends, and we moved out to L.A. Um, I got services set up at 19, 20 years old, you know. I went to art school, and then I was like, oh, my God, it's too expensive, I can't survive. So I came back. So while I wasn't like completely 100% prepared, I made it and it was it was an experience I won't forget. And so I came back and I was still able to get my personal assistant services back because they didn't turn in the correct paperwork to terminate it. Oh, that's great. <laughs> See, don't you love it? Sometimes when government institutions screw up it kind of works in our favor it's rare but sometimes yeah. it does <laughs> because like if i didn't i have the really good um i have a class waiver program so it's one that you get like the most hours okay. which is why i am able to be independent now yeah you know and um we're going back to when i was like 12 years old my parents met a social worker who told them that they need to sign me up for this program now so that when I'm an adult, I can be independent. Yeah. So like without that social worker telling them, like, I know you're not thinking about her as an adult, like she's a child, I know this, but you need to prepare for her future. And they let me hire my own people. They let me do that. Right when I turned 18, I got to pick, I got to fire, I got to do the hours, I got to do... And, you know, my mom did help me. She gave me the guidance to, like, if I needed help, she would be there. But they also, you know, I did my own taxes. I did my own, like, I I did my own bills. I, I was, like, living at their home when I moved back. But they still gave me that foundation to succeed, which is a privilege. It's a very big privilege that a lot of people aren't able to get. And I... I hope to eventually, if, you know, youth need that guidance of, of that person, you know, if their parents aren't able to do that, I hope that maybe I can kind of be that guide too, as a social worker and as a therapist, you know, so it's just like, I have a lot of goals, I have a lot of like dreams, and I, I'm just trying to get my clinical license so I can continue to complete these dreams, you know. That's fantastic. And oh, there's so many more things I want to ask about that. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But uh, if everyone could please listen to one more brief word from our sponsor. This podcast is made possible by a sponsorship from Genentech. Are you living with SMA or are you a caregiver for someone who is? A treatment has been FDA approved based on studies of different types of people living with SMA. Genentech extends a special thanks to all the individuals, families, and healthcare providers who participated in the studies that led to making this treatment option a reality. To learn more about this treatment, visit approvedforsma.com. 
Okay, so that's a great transition. You're, you know, you're talking about um, that, you know, it, like, I think, you're, you know, obviously all your parents uh, are a big reason for why you're independent and why you're able to make these big changes in your life, both personally and professionally. And so thinking about um, your experiences in activism and in social work, what are some of the things that have challenged or surprised you the most? One of the things that have challenged or surprised me the most in activism is the term activist in a very red district is often looked down upon. Hmm. It's looked as extreme. It's looked as maybe you should call yourself an advocate, not an activist, which I don't find has the right punch to it. Um, because advocates fine, of course, but like, I'm an activist, like I, I will fight when I need to. And if there are injustices that I see being done, then I will get creative and my uh, as creative as possible as I can in order to try and make things better for the person who's being hurt, you know, yeah. and that, whether that's for a community, whether that's for any type of minority or oppressed individual or anything like my heart goes out to people who are struggling. And so I, I found that it, it's often looked down upon to be the person who speaks out. And although I did know that, you know, it's like you see other people kind of getting hated for reasons that are through movements of like change and justice. Um, it's hard to be the person who is like being spoken to in a negative way, you know? <laughs> and I think that's the biggest shock is like, oh my God, there's like so many people that don't like me because of the stances that I've taken, especially in my little town of Amarillo, <laughs> you know? But then there's a lot of people who have come behind me and who have supported me and stood by me and have come out of who knows where they're like, I, you know, they come up to me in like a, like out, if, if I'm out and about, they'll come up to me and be like, Hey, were you that person that did this? And I'm like, yeah, you know, and like, it's, it's just really cool to be recognized. Cause you, if people come up to you, you're like, yes. And then if they're like excited to meet you, then you're like, okay, good. And not like, yeah, why, <laughs> you know? Um, which, yeah, that's that's basically the biggest thing that's been a shock in this journey. Yeah, what was some of like what were some of the more public works that you did that got you that kind of recognition? Yeah, um, in let's see, I think it was June of twenty twenty. There was an attorney in Amarillo that opened up a restaurant, and it had a very racially derogative and slur of a name and I didn't know that I was going to kind of be the face of this movement but we basically got me and a whole group of like 600 people got uh his restaurant closed pretty much and we you know we we had a counter billboard that we put up right beside his restaurant talking about how there is damage in language, you know, and just, um, there was a lot of news reports. There was a lot of slamming on Facebook from the attorney 
in my direction to where I had to file a police report because it was uh, death related. And, um, you know, I, I loved every minute of it. And I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to like kind of be a thorn in people who are creating these toxic and divisive environments, you know? And another one, there was um, a billboard that was put up by a church here that said something like, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, and the wicked of Sodom and blah, blah, blah. And, like, we put up another billboard that was, um, it said that y'all means all, and it had the Texas symbol and a, a rainbow, and, like, everyone was posing with it. And we raised a bunch of funding through crowdsourcing, and it was just, it's a its a really cool thing to be seen by that. And I, you know, the city council and the mayor have recognized my, my movements and have supported me. And I ran for city council and like, just to be involved in the local um, government to have these people who are Republican, who, you know, are siding with me as a progressive person because of my stances and the, the kind of way that I handle it instead of being like mean about it, I do it creatively, you know? And so it's like, um, it's been a really cool movement, you know? Oh, I'm from the South too. So I'm in North Carolina. So anytime you can put oh, y'all yeah. in a like <laughs> resistance type slogan, that's great. I love it. But yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, and, um, I, I, so thinking back to when you started the process of going back to school, pursuing this career, what were, like, did you know kind of what area you wanted to focus on within the realm of social work? Or did you kind of, was that a more natural progress that led you to where you are now? Well, I started out in psychology because I thought I wanted to be a psychologist. And then someone, a friend of mine, talked to me and she was like you know what I you know have you ever looked into social work and I was like no I don't you know I don't really know what that is except like CPS like everyone says you know and it's they're like no it's like a way to learn how to advocate and like learn about the justice system and the law and like social workers can be placed in very many things a lot of things as long as they have a voice, you know, and, and that doesn't mean like audibly, that just means like the ability to communicate in whatever way you are able to do, you know? Mm. And so like, um, and I think it's a really cool way to kind of leave your mark on things. And that's why I chose to do social work instead. Like I, I wanted to do psychology for the doctor title. You know, like, we call the doctor and shove it, you know, like, do it out of spite. But, like, I think that I'm just happy to to be where I am right now. That's great. And, well, and I think it, and it's a good point, too. A lot of people don't really know what social work entails. And I think um, more people in our community tend to know because you have to, like, have a really good one to help get you caregiver hours and that kind of thing and be an advocate. But... I think that's the really cool thing about it is it does open the doors for so many different things. I mean, you're both like, yeah, you do counseling, you do activism, you do all these things that uh, really open doors and uh, I, th I think tie into different aspects of your story. So that's really cool. Yeah. 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 
That's awesome. And, um, okay, so going back to, you know, 2020, so, okay, so you mentioned you went through the divorce, and I'm, if you don't mind me asking what kind of your living situation is now, and especially with the pandemic, I, you know, I have to ask, like, what has it been, like, yeah. staffing caregivers, maintaining independence, all of those things? Well, I bought my home in 2014, and I was able to... I mean, it, it's, I'm, I'm still in my home. I have a person, a roommate who stays here at night. I converted the garage and made it into a bedroom. And so, you know, they, they come home at like midnight and leave at seven. You know, it's, it's a very cool, like adaptable situation. Mm-hmm. I also have um, personal assistants throughout the day who help me get out of bed, get ready, get, you know, they drive my van, they, like, like I said, I am incredibly privileged to have the things that I do have, and it has taken a lot of hard work, but I had the footing to get there, you know, I do recognize that, that I am very thankful for what I have, you know, and um, I, I am also dating a beautiful, handsome trans man who is the light of my life and we have kind of like made our little family together you know we just it's um it's it's a beautiful thing well and i know this podcast is just audio but you also have some cats and dogs in the background that you also say are like therapy uh, um pets for especially when you're working with clients so i know i know i'm sure that's part of your life as well yeah, I have about 50 clients that I see, and anytime they bark, they're normally like, oh, tell them hi, you know, and it's just a part of being with me as a therapist, because my animals are such a pain, they are not emotional support animals, but they are, you know? Sure, sure. <laughs> I love them so much, and anytime they bark, I'm like, all right. I'm so sorry. I and everyone just laughs, you know. <laughs> I don't want to jinx it, but they've been really good during this interview, so you know. They yeah, have. Yeah. They've yeah. been in the backyard barking, but then they're back in, and one of them just slammed my office door open. So now they're all just wondering, and I'm like, okay. Well, hey, all they right. they got to make an appearance, so it's all good. But yeah, they do. Yeah. Well, and um, go ahead and thinking about your mental health career as well, like. What are some things you've learned about um, mental health and counseling as it relates to disabled individuals? Yeah, there is not much schooling in the terms of disability mm. and mental health. Mm. And, <laughs> and as a matter of fact, I don't even have my own therapist because I can't find anyone in Texas that is open and uh non-religious and who understands the impact of disability and mental health and who is understanding of the lgbtq community so like Uh uh i know i'm asking for like a unicorn here but like (laughs) like i it's really hard um and i think that that's why my caseload built up in literally I've only been doing private practice since 
my supervisor hired me onto a private practice in August, I think. And then before that, I worked, I still work with a platform called Cerebral. And so I still work with them. And then they give me their clients or their clients pick me. And then other people seek me out through the private practice. And so it built up within, you know, I haven't, I haven't even been doing it for a year. And I've already got a full caseload because of the lack of people who are able to kind of relate to the struggles that disabled people face in the queer community. Cause there's just, it's, there's so many like intersections of that. I was going to say the intersectionality is so important and it's just, it is crazy that in your field, you haven't found a lot of literature or studies on the relation between disability and mental health, because that is so important. And, um, and especially when you have multiple identities, like all that, there should be a wealth of information about it. And there should be a wealth of therapists, like who can support clients, you know, with those needs. So it's a, I mean, it's a huge injustice that there isn't enough there. So I hope that, you know, the work you're doing and others out there, that it will change that in the coming years. But Yeah, and yeah. there are, there, I know several other disability, mm-hmm. um, either focused therapists or disabled therapists themselves in different states. But like in Texas, yeah. I, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. So Texans, if you're, <laughs> if you're a disabled therapist, then hit me up, you know, or connect. <laughs> There's got to be some out there. It's a big state. So hopefully, it's a big yeah, state. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, and Ali, so one thing I usually ask people on the show is like advice they have for others in the community. But thinking back about, you know, you were talking about um, your, your situation, your living situation now, the independence you have, and like, you're talking about it as a privilege, but also, you know, I mean, a lot of it has come through hard work and thinking about listeners out there who and I'm sure I mean you see you're in the uh, Facebook groups and forums and stuff and you know that there are people who um plenty in our community who don't know where to start where they want um independence they want to do things but they have no idea where to start they feel kind of trapped by the system um or how to go about getting caregivers all these things what would you say to those individuals who may be listening what I would say is never feel like you're a burden, even though it's really easy to feel that way. And keep reaching out to your support groups because the people in these groups are the people who have lived through it. And they're the people that have the resources. And, you know, as much as we wish that doctors and like people in the medical community would give us these tips, it's not going to happen, you know? And I think that our own community, whether whatever disability you may have, and if it is, of course, if you're listening because you're, you have SMA or your child has SMA, make sure and, and get them with their own community. And if you are speaking of parents, I did talk about mine, giving me that, that foundation for independence. Um, it's really easy to, basically coddle a child that has a disability because with parents sometimes. And so I feel like it's, it's, you gotta talk to adults in the community too and kind of learn how to 
kind of let let that grip loose a little so your kid can make the same mistakes that other kids do you know and it's it's hard to watch because you've done so much care and you've taken so much time with these little guys and gals and kids that it's it's hard to kind of loosen that 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 grip and it's it's just like I've made so many mistakes and I've learned over and over and over what I can and can't do and I couldn't have done that if I was if I had decisions made for me uh-huh. you know and so just stick with your community um if you don't have a community you know I know that there are resources here that can can link you there and find an adult that is a mentor if you're if you're in the youth or if you're if you're an adult find a friend you know and always reach out if you're feeling helpless and hopeless and heavy. That's fantastic. I you know I I totally agree, and I think it's a, a real, um that's really good. Hopefully, a theme going into this year is just you know the importance of community and something I think especially throughout the pandemic we've all learned the importance of, and so that's that's really great. Uh, well, Ali, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been a fantastic conversation and. I imagine there will be others who want to reach out to you, especially after hearing this. So is there anywhere public um, profiles or anything people can find you uh, or social media? Yeah, absolutely. I do have a, a Facebook for my therapy page that you can message me through there or you can find my phone number. And the URL for that is facebook.com backslash Allie, A-L-I. Ramos, R-A-M-O-S, therapy. And you can also email me at, what is my email? <laughs> I think it's AllieRamosTherapy at gmail.com is a good place to reach me. Awesome. We'll definitely put those in the description, but yeah, I'm hopeful. Yeah, okay. you may you may get some new clients after this. Who knows? So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. We'll see. <laughs> awesome. Well, Allie, thanks so much again. This has been great. Thank you, Kevin. Absolutely. And for our listeners out there, you can hear more stories and conversations like this by subscribing to the SMA News Today podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us directly on our forums and follow our main website at www.smanewstoday.com for the latest SMA news and perspectives. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Take care. The information in our flash briefings and podcasts are provided for informational and educational purposes only. Be sure to tune in daily to SMA News Today for the latest news and perspectives regarding the disease. Discover more content that might be of interest to you at www.smanewstoday.com. And be sure to follow us on social media and join our SMA News Today forums, a trusted SMA community ready to welcome you anytime.